we're going to look at narrative today, right? So it's going to be kind of a story. It's a true story. We see this Ruth, uh, the, the, the book of Ruth that we're going through. But actually, it does apply to us. It should settle something in our hearts. It should settle something about the way that we outwork our faith. It should settle something about how we understand what God has said throughout his word. And so what I want to do today is uh, go through the book of Ruth, the, the chapter of Ruth sorry, that I'm looking at. I'm just going to read it. We're not going to do like uh, we quite often do, where we kind of go verse by verse and pull out different bits of, of truth. Because actually, what this uh, true story is, is it's a way of seeing God outworking what he says he's going to do throughout his Bible. Okay, so we've already got, at this point in the, in the story, we've already got to, through a whole load of God outworking his plans, and we're picking it up. Now, Owen last week kicked us off and talked about how this is actually our introduction to Christmas. It's an odd place to start for Christmas, but we are looking ahead to Christmas. And what I'm hoping is by the end of today that I've helped lift our eyes to why Christmas is so important and how this story actually does apply to that. It sounds odd, I know, but, you know, bear with me. So Owen talked through how we, uh, we've met Ruth in Moab, where her in-laws, her parents-in-law, went and they kind of left Israel. They left uh, Bethlehem, this house of bread. That's, the, that's what Bethlehem means, house of bread. They left there because there was a famine. They went into the land of Moab, which... Uh, isn't really where they should have been heading, but they went there, and then Elimelech, yep, Ruth's father-in-law, uh, dies. Ruth's uh, then husband becomes her husband. The 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 children of Naomi get married to these two Moabite women, who uh, are then with their mother-in-law after their husbands die. So this poor woman is, is in Moab with no husband, no sons anymore. And she says, I've heard that God has come back to Bethlehem. He has visited, and I'm going to go there now. Uh, you guys, this is to, to her daughter-in-laws, you guys go home to your parents. Like you'll, you'll have a better life there than you could possibly hope for uh, in Bethlehem. And we see that Orpah says, okay, after a little bit of an argument, and she goes back. And, and frankly, as, as kind of I go through today, I don't think we can blame her, actually. <laughs> you know, like, it, she is going to have, in certainly the, the people of that time's eyes, a better life back home with her parents. Ruth, however, says, no, 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 no. I'm sticking with you. Naomi, I'm going to go where you go. Your God is going to be my God. And she takes this, this moment of faith. And you could be forgiven if we stopped in chapter 1 to think that actually Ruth's act of faith there was faith to her mother-in-law. But as we find out during Ruth 2, it's far bigger than that. She has a faith in God that is a surprise, actually, when you look at the context that they're in. Now, um, I don't know if you've been reading your CBR, your Seeing Jesus Together this week, but we've been, uh, if you've been in the Old Testament part, 
you will have read some of Judges. Now, this is around the time of Ruth, okay? So there's one particular passage in Judges, Judges 19, which is horrific, and roughly this time, okay? Now, Judges 19, uh, I don't expect many of you would instantly go, oh, yeah, I know the one, because it doesn't get preached from very much. It's horrible, okay? It is a moment where you see the state that Israel is in. It's, it's, it's the context that Ruth is set in. There is a, a man, he doesn't even want to go into a city because it's full of foreigners. I'm not actually going to go into Judges 19. You don't need to turn on anything. I, I just want to use it as setting the context, just to see lots of people going there. Don't get distracted. It's a horrible story. Take my word for it. And they, this man ends up going into a Jewish city, and he just, they just do unspeakable things at that point. It is a low point. And uh, the, the men of the city want to have their way with him. His, his host says, no, no, go away, go away. Like, have my daughters instead. Like, I, I, I mean, how you get to that state as a nation. Um, and they say, no, no, we don't want your daughters. And so the man sends out his wife or it's called concubine, but later it's clear that actually she's a wife. And these people do unspeakable to her. To the point that he opens the door in the morning and she's dead on the doorstep. This is the context that Ruth is going into. Like, I, I, I want you to hear just how bleak and horrific her future in Bethlehem could be. Okay. It's not nice. Israel has, has turned from their God at this point. Now we have a glimmer that they may have started, or at least somebody may have started turning back because it says God visited Bethlehem back in chapter 1. So there may be a glimmer of hope here. But Ruth, like, like Ruth is going into this place. So as we read the story, have that in your mind as we, you know, there's going to be verses that talk about uh, that we've told them not to touch you. <laughs> like, hear what that means, okay? I'm trying to be slightly sensitive with young ears in the room. Like, hear what that is saying when someone's told not to touch Ruth. This is the culture and the context she's going into, okay? So I'm going to read. I'm going to read through all of Ruth. And then I'm going to pull out some things that I think are helpful. Um, so, starting in Ruth 2, chapter one, uh, verse 1. So. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field of the, after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, so that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah, that's quite a lot, of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law said, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men, until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Like I say, this, this is a, a, a story. This is how... Uh, a true story, I'll keep reiterating that. This is a story of God outworking what he says will happen before. So let's just put this in the context, right? Because this isn't a snippet of story on its own. This is something about the story of God's people. The story of a God 
who has a plan and is outworking it. And throughout the Old Testament, you see these, these moments where he steps back and he declares these great things about nations and peoples. And then the writers zoom in on what that looks like for an individual. And this is one of those moments. Right? We are zooming in to an individual, Ruth. So let's just put Ruth in the bigger story for a moment. We have this, this history that the people we're going to know and are sharing and are living in and, and, and believe has great importance to them. Okay, so we have this, this, this moment of creation where God chooses, uh, creates this, this man, this one man, who then turns astray and the beginning of problems come in for the world. And then, and then after this, God, God chooses another man, Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you into a nation. This, this one man into a nation. I'm going to choose you out of everybody. Your, you and your children. Now, what actually happens is then Abraham has like two sons, right? Not a nation at that point, two sons, one illegitimately and one legitimately. Say, so we've got this point. God has chosen a man who he's saying, I'm going to make a people out of you. This man has a son. And then we get this great promise from God. In Genesis 17, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but you sh- your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I share that because this is what the people Ruth have visited have ringing in their ears, right? They, we're the chosen people of God. The fact that they maybe haven't been following doesn't, doesn't matter right now. Right? To them, they're the chosen people of God. They are better than everyone around them. Yeah, That's, that's what they're thinking. And then, so Abraham has this son who, who has another son. Right? And that son goes on to have another son. We're not seeing this nation forming yet. This is ones, one man each time. And then that man... Jacob becomes Israel, and he has 12 sons. And through sort of seemingly strange circumstances that that are clearly, when we look at it in hindsight, God's uh, providence is is him providing his, his decision that these people should go to Egypt to be saved from a great famine. But more than that, to save the people in Egypt as well from this great famine. Then they become slaves. They're 
enslaved by the people that they went and actually helped. And God chooses one man again, one man, to lead them out of Egypt. This great display of God's power <laughs> that is ringing in these, these people from Bethlehem's ears still. They're sharing this story again and again and again with each other. That's why, we, that's why I want us to, to, to linger in it for a moment. But what happens, a whole people, this, this group that have now become a nation, have become, those 12 sons became tribes, thousands, millions of people, keep turning their back on the God that led them out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land that God declared to Abraham that he was going to give them. But they keep getting it wrong. Until eventually that whole generation is dead and one man is chosen, Joshua, to lead God's people into the promised land. But before that, we get the law. God makes another promise, another covenant to his people. Let me just grab one bit that speaks of it. The, it says in Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this story is shared of how God has chosen us and he's made a covenant with us. And then this one man, Joshua, leads them into the promised land finally. And they start to take possession of it. But again, they start turning away again and again. And then the judges are there, leading them back or winning great victories for them. But again and again, they turn away. And so we hit Ruth at that point. She's coming to the nation of Israel as this outsider. Now, if this, if this is supposed to be a story we're supposed to learn from, we need to look at our characters carefully. Right? So Ruth, who is she? What, what, what important things are we supposed to pick out from here? She's described almost every time she's mentioned as Ruth the Moabite. Why? Why is that? Like, what, what's so important about that? We're supposed to get from that, as the people would have done back then. She is a foreigner. She is not, to, that she is not one of this people who have these great promises spoken over her. She is foreign to this land. She has no claim on the promised land as far as these Bethlehemites are concerned. In fact, if we look back and we go to what Ruth's history is, if we were to look at where she came from, she is of the nation of Moab. Now, the Jews would know that Moab, they are related to the nation of Moab, but not through Abraham, through Abraham's nephew, Lot. 
And not just through Abraham's nephew Lot, but through Abraham's nephew Lot and his daughter. They are born in an illegitimate way. They are a nation born out of incest. So this isn't just a foreigner. This is like a foreigner of foreigners. Right? This, is, this is somebody who has no part in what they live with. More than that, she's, she's coming without any means to support herself. She's not come with her father who could provide for her. She's lost her husband. He's, she's a widow. So who's there to provide for her? She is a foreign, fatherless widow daring to come to the promised land. This is like, this is a big step for Ruth. She knows they think this of her, right? This isn't just a, a light, oh, I really like Naomi. I, I just can't imagine not staying with her anymore. Do you, like, that's not what this is. This is a big, big step. But we meet a man, one man again, called Boaz. And as we read, we see this abundant blessing that he pours out upon her. Now, Boaz, who is he? What are we supposed to grasp from this? He's of the clan of Elimelech. Now, that's the, the tribe of Judah. So he is one of the promised people, the, the people of the promise. Right? He is one of God's chosen race. He's clearly wealthy. He has the means to support himself and others. He has servants. He has men who go to the fields for him to harvest. He actually has quite a heritage. He is, he's not just a man who's uh, uh, from the tribe of Judah. He's a known man from the tribe of Judah. His dad is Salmon. Okay? Now, we don't really know his name very well in today's culture. But back then, they would know that Salmon was the son... Sorry, no. Boaz is the son of Salmon. Salmon is one of Joshua's guy that led them into the chosen land, the, the promised land. Salmon is one of his top men, his advisors. So this guy is, is born into one of the top families of Israel, right? This, this Boaz. And we know that from other books, so you can read that. But, but actually, we, we realize that, that Salmon is the one that marries Rahab, who we do know better in today's uh, stories. Rahab, the uh, the prostitute that actually helped Israel to come and capture uh, the, the nation and, and walk into that promised land. So, so we know that, and some of you are already starting to see how this might point to Christmas, okay? Because that's actually where we talk about her more, is that she is Jesus' descendant, and therefore so is her husband, Salmon, Okay? I have no idea whether you pronounce it salmon. I'm sorry. It's written salmon. I hope I'm not offending anyone. Uh, <laughs> but um, but this, is, this is who Boaz is. Okay? So he's quite an important guy. He couldn't be further from Ruth. 
in, in their situation, right? He can fully provide for himself. He can look after himself. He has men. He has everything that he needs. And he's, he's an important person compared to Ruth, a complete nobody, an outsider. Now, it does say that he is related to Naomi and therefore to Ruth's deceased husband. And, and it talks about him being a redeemer. That's a kinsman redeemer. Now, I'm actually not going to go into that because I'm really hoping, I think you're doing Ruth 4, aren't you, that we're going to pick that up. That, that passage really outworks what it means to be a kinsman redeemer in a way that this passage doesn't. Okay? But, and, and in fact, actually, everything that Boaz does here isn't the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer. So, I'm not going to go into that right now. If you're interested, have a look and see how well it's covered in, in a couple of weeks. It's like a challenge for Owen. Um, the, um, the, he'll do a good job. It's fine. It's fine. Um, the, um, but let's look at what he actually does. Okay, what does he do for Ruth? How does, how does he show love for Ruth? Now, so before I get there, I do just want to point out that this one man clearly does trust God and truly, clearly does uh, take his word seriously. You know, even the fact that at this point he says to his reapers, the Lord be with you and makes them say back to him, the Lord bless you. This, this is saying that Boaz is actually taking his part in the, in the God's chosen people seriously. He gets it. This isn't just something that he's ignoring. Right? So he is described in this whole passage. In fact, in the whole book of Ruth, he doesn't put a step wrong, right? Like he's, he is this incredibly good guy. Now remember, this story is supposed to be telling us something of what God's doing in, 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 the, in the macro. So this is the micro, God's doing it in the macro. So there's, this isn't trying to say Boaz is perfect, okay? This is just highlighting he is a good man. He's the one man that's been chosen, at this point. And he does things like this. Verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. It's really hard in, in today's culture to read things like that um, and see them for the quite amazing thing that they are. You know, have, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Well, like, you shouldn't need to charge the young men not to touch her, right? Like, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's not normal, like, that we should need to do that. But the fact that he does speaks that he sees what's going on in the culture and says, no, 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 no. You, my men, are to not be like them. My men are here to do what's right. He's a man who is prepared to step out, to, to be different to those around him. But man, what a, what a loving, kind guy, right? He's like, Ruth, hang on, you're safe with me. You, you have no way of protecting yourself. You have no way of providing for yourself. I will do that. I will care for you. I will look after you. 
But then he goes further, right? He doesn't just say, you know, help yourself to what my harvesters leave behind. He says, come and have dinner. He says, verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And then she had some left over. This isn't a guy that's like just being a little bit nice. Like he is being abundantly generous. They're not long out of a famine. <laughs> like they get how important food is and how important this harvest is. But he's giving it. He's generous. He is giving her actually more than she deserves. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. So don't just let her like, pick up the few bits that you leave behind you. She can have anything she wants. And do not reproach her. And also, actually, just make sure that you do leave some bits for her. Like, slyly pull some bits out, right? Pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. This isn't normal. This guy is being overly gracious and kind to a woman that he sees, not as this object to defile, but as someone needing care and support. And so what happens? Ruth gleans. (laughs) Verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah. This is, this is more than should have been gleaned by one person, right? An ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. But she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. This woman has gone from being a complete outsider to being welcomed. Can we put verse, uh, the, the verse 8 back up a couple of slides ago? Sorry. She's gone from being this complete outsider to being called daughter. Like, this is, this is a big thing, right? Like, this, this woman that is from not just somewhere other, but from a place that was enemies to Israel, that was... was kind of filthy in Israel's eyes. And in fact, the, the, the women of Moab were normally trying to draw the men of Israel away from Yahweh, away from their God, to the Moabite gods. But Boaz sees her and says, daughter. And then he gives her not just food, he gives her so much food. And he gives her his protection. And you see how this one woman, Ruth, is abundantly provided for beyond anything that she should expect by this one man. And you have to ask why? What did she do? And in fact, she asks, why? In verse 10. 
And Boaz gives her an answer. And there is so much in this answer. Verse 11, this, we should get that back on the screen, sorry, I'm making Paul work at the back harder than I normally would. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. That's all true, right? This is, this is, you know, she's done it. She's earned it, surely. She's worked really hard. But that actually isn't then what he goes on to say. He's like, you've done well, yeah. You did some things right. But he says, the Lord will pay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This moment, like I say, this, this Ruth going to, to Bethlehem with Naomi isn't her showing faith to Naomi. It's her putting faith in God. She has put herself under his wing. Now, like, I, I want to draw this out quite clearly, okay? She, she isn't just blindly going, oh, there's a nice God in Israel. She's going, this is a God who can provide for me and has told his people to provide for me. She knows her word, and thankfully, so does Boaz. She knows what God has spoken. Now, Naomi may have gone off to the wrong land, she's clearly taught her daughter-in-law something of God's word because Naomi gets that actually if she goes back to Bethlehem to this chosen people God has told them to provide for her now this, this is incredible let me, let me just read this to you Deuteronomy, it's going to come up on here she knows the law that God has spoken Deuteronomy 24 says uh, verse 19, when you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to it. It shall be for the sojourner, the, the, the foreigner, for the fatherless and for the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. This act of faith from Ruth is in verses like that. Now, that's not the only one. That's the one I chose for, for this. That is declared several times to the people of Israel. You see, what God actually did in his story was pull a people out of a dark world and say, I am going to bless you. I have chosen you for yourselves. Why? Not, not so that you are blessed to the detriment of everyone else. I couldn't care less about anybody else. I care about you, Israel. That isn't what God did. That isn't the story that God has led us to. The story that God has led us to is where he wants not just Ruth, to be blessed by his people, but the world to be blessed by his people. If you want more evidence, we go to what did he say to Abraham? He said in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you. 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. That's where Israel's at. They've possessed the gates of their enemies. They've grown into this great countless people. Why? He says, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, if Ruth is this zooming in on what it means on an individual for what God has spoken about nations, then Boaz, as one of the offspring of Abraham, is clearly that offspring. Through that offspring, the nations will be blessed. Through Boaz, through the Israelites in Boaz, the Moabites have been blessed in Ruth. Yeah? Now at this point, unless you happen to be of Jewish descent, this should make you go, I'm one of those nations. Like, I'm, so hang on, Ruth here is actually a foreshadow of me. That's what this story is saying. Through God's people, we are supposed to be blessed. And through one man, Ruth was blessed. No, I didn't start a timer, so I have no idea how I'm doing for time, but um, we'll keep going. It's fine, because this is where it gets exciting, <laughs> okay? This is where we get to thank God. Thank you. But that was not the end of God's story. This is a shadow, a foretaste of what God was doing with his people. This woman was so abundantly blessed by God's people to the point that we're going to find that she didn't just get to, to join the family. She got to be someone not just looking forward to her nation bringing blessing to the nations, but one of her offspring. She is the great, 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 28 greats, they reckon, <laughs> grandmother of Jesus. This woman that didn't even deserve a, a claim on the promised land is used to bring Jesus Christ here. Like, I, it's easy for us to gloss over the blessing that that is, but for, for a people where descendants are important, right? where family is important, this is like the, um, the most incredible blessing that God poured out upon her. And we get to look back and see how one man came. One man 
back to Bethlehem, came. And through him blessed not just the ones and the twos, the Ruths and the Naomi's, but the nations of the earth. Let's pick up John 3. And we're going to start at John 3.16. We're going to keep reading on for a bit. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This promise is for us, is for our nation, is for our, uh, the people we see around us. This promise is for everyone. That God says, although you you were not one of my chosen people. And in fact, you, just like Ruth, elsewhere it talks about us as being enemies of God. Although you were enemies through one man, I'm going to bring you eternal life. Just like Ruth found family. She, she was brought into that family. She was called Daughter. You are called daughter, you are called son by the God on high. Not because you deserve it, not because you're, you were born into that, not because you could get there yourself, you couldn't provide this eternal life for yourself. But because of one man showing grace to us, one man, Jesus dying that we should not perish but have eternal life. Do do you get that abundant blessing? This story of Ruth, she wasn't just fed. She was fed until she couldn't eat and then given food to take home. This is speaking of God has not just restored us. God has not just said I'm saving you. He has gone beyond that. He has not just saved you and said, I'm I'm now going to just keep you and and you're going to stay that outsider, but but know that I'll provide for you. It's okay. He says, come. Come and be in my family. I'm going to adopt you and make you part of my family. And I'm going to give you everything that you need. And more. (laughs) Like, this is amazing, right? Like, like, this isn't, don't, don't, hey, I'm not talking prosperity here, okay? I'm not talking that that you come into God's family and then you get a cushy, easy life. Ruth worked, right? Ruth went back into that field and slaved until evening and then worked some more to grind the grain, right? Like, like, this isn't easy life 
like God isn't saying somehow I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to pour out all of my blessing and, and, and you're not going to know anything bad ever again, although he does declare that for one day. But right now, that's not what happens. God has abundantly poured out love and blessing upon each of us. And so, I just want us to, to look at, at Ruth again and see ourselves as that outsider, fatherless, widowed. There's no one that can provide for us. We are helpless without God, without a Boaz, without that one man to come alongside us. I want us to look at that because I want us to see that where we quite often linger, which is we are sinful, we are outside of, like we're not doing what God wants us to do all the time. Oh, I'm so, I, I, I'm, I struggle with it. I find life hard. I want us to see that although those things are true, although you are still going to struggle with things and find things hard, the amazing grace that Boaz shows outweighs every bit of that. And so, yes, it's true that we were outsiders. But God has called us into his family. God's love for us, just as Boaz's love for Ruth broke through all of her social standing and all of her situation, that is what he does for us. So I, I could pull out some practical things that we should do out the back of this. But you know what? I just feel that we are to, to stop there, to go whatever situation you are in. Know that God's love is so much greater than it. God's, God's provision for you is so much greater than it. If God's calling you to something that's scary, you can trust his word. You can trust he's calling you to it. Actually, even as I was preparing this, I was thinking, God, right now I am. I'm nervous. I, I don't know what's going on with our economy. You know, you've, you've, you've called my family to this expensive town. <laughs> like, you know, like everything costs more here than where we came from. Everything. And, and we're now, like, the things that I thought were normal and were the same cost everywhere is more expensive than it was. God, what's going on? But I can trust you, God. I can trust you could provide for a Ruth, you can provide for me. And your provision goes beyond that immediate need. And so actually, let's respond together to this. We're gonna, I'm gonna break the bread.